Patreon.com slash the walk-off podcast. Uh, $4 a month gets you in there. Baseball, Blue Jays, and more baseball. It's the walk-off with Scott Belford and Adam Mack. This ball is crushed. The diehard podcast for the casual fan. And another one. My goodness. Very excited to have returning to the show, Blue Jays insider and one half of At The Letters podcast, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Welcome back to the walk-off, man. Guys, thanks for having me. It's good to be back. It's good to be talking Blue Jays. And uh, yeah, a lot of intrigue ahead, I think, this offseason. So should be should be an interesting month or so. It's an exciting uh, offseason for sure, because you just know there's going to be some major stuff that happens. By the way, before we even get into it, uh, congrats on a great 2023, man. I always really enjoy your content, whether it's articles, whether it's podcasts. And you spent some time in the radio booth this year. How was that? It, it was so fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's always fun to be able to uh, experience different ways of watching a ball game. Being in the radio booth is definitely a, a different way. It's like because you've never done that before, right? Well, last year I did about uh, a couple dozen games, so I, I did right. a bunch in 2022 as well. Um, yeah, and then this year did um, did more than that, um, and got the chance to work alongside Ben Wagner, who's such a pro, and a few games along with Ben okay. Shulman as well. Um, so really enjoyed it um, as you know, all the, all the different vantage points are a little different. So watching a game, you know, in that setting is a little different than writing. It's a little different than working, you know, a Blue Jays central game. So uh, it's, it's a fun, a fun gig um, for sure. And the radio was a really fun part of that this year. So Ben was 2023 as weird and difficult to report on as it was to kind of follow as a fan. Did it feel like a weird year to you? It felt really weird. Yeah, it felt super weird. I think that, you know, going into the season, there were such high expectations for this team. Uh, the players themselves had high expectations. I think those of us in the media had high expectations. Certainly the fans did as well, and rightfully so. This is a good team. Should have been better than what they were. I think we've all kind of uh, come to terms with that or relived that enough times um, <laughs> by now. But yeah, you know, I think that like reporting on it wasn't more challenging than it would be in any other year. Um other than the fact that, you know, anytime a team is losing or underperforming, they're obviously going to be a little bit, uh, you know, less uh, pleased with themselves. And that's going to impact the vibes to some extent. But, you know, otherwise, um, there's so many storylines. There's so many more stories that I would want to write in a given year that I have time to write. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not as though there's a shortage of interesting things to talk about with this team, even as they were underperforming and failing to reach the heights that they should have. I know you mentioned vibes. Were the vibes off a little? Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think all season, really. I mean, maybe with the exception of they, they got off to a pretty good start. But then once May hit, um, they started struggling. And then, you know, June, they're still kind of behind the eight ball. You go into the all-star break. They're not really where they want to be. Go to the trade deadline. Like, they get better. But it wasn't a transformative trade deadline. And they keep kind of scuffling along so to me the vibes were off all year um you know I, I it's hard to it's hard to quantify it's hard to say you know how that's going to change next year i'm it will change like mm -hmm. there will it, the vibes might be worse next year they might be better who knows but it will be different because each year brings its own set of vibes but you know this year yeah it was it was definitely off it wasn't good 
there is a lot of heavy lifting to do on this front office's part to fill some of these holes. I know that so far, Major League Baseball free agency has been pretty slow moving. We've seen the pitching market move a little bit. You know, we just saw Aaron Nola resign with the Phillies. Just this morning, it's reported Sonny Gray is going to the Cardinals. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, but any idea on when we could see some significant movement? Is everyone just waiting on Otani right now? I think it's got to start soon, right? Like, there's so many names out there, so many players that need new homes for next year. Um, to say nothing of the trade activity that we're expecting that, you know, should be pretty busy in the next little stretch. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's got to be activity um, starting this week. Um, certainly the week of the winter meetings, which is next week. I would expect a lot of activity. So I think the next 10 days, we'll see a lot of uh, movement. And Otani's clearly the number one, clearly the player who will free up uh, the most money elsewhere and the most um, you know roster spots and and kind of lend a lot of clarity to some of the other um, decisions happening around the sport. But even beyond Otani, I do think that we're going to start to see a lot of movement in the next 10 days or so. In a... Um... How aggressive do you expect the Blue Jays to be like in terms of trades or free agents? Is this uh, a year where we should expect them to overspend as opposed to being more responsible and missing out? Or is this going to be a continuation of we want to get our guys, but we know what a reasonable price to pay is and we'd rather miss out and be responsible than overspend? Like, where do you see the tone here the approach yeah it's a it's a huge question for them to figure out internally because you know if you decide hey we're going to push a little more aggressively this winter and maybe set aside our own valuations for the sake of landing a certain player then that changes everything um i think historically we've seen the blue jays be very process oriented very um deliberate when it comes to their uh free agent uh uh, approaches but at the same time they've been aggressive so i would expect the same thing this offseason with one exception that i'm sure we'll get to but i think um you know really this is a this is a front office that they they went pretty big for george springer kevin cosman chris bassett signed jose brios to big extension traded aggressively for dalton varsho i mean we can have our opinions as to whether that deal was a good one or not, but it definitely was aggressive. Um, same with the Matt Chapman trade, the Barrios trade. Like they make big moves, and that's you know we've seen that year after year. They make big moves, they make big signings. That's absolutely going to happen this year. They are absolutely going to be adding multiple, multiple players, like four or five players. They have to, you know, when Ross Atkins said it's one to four bats, I'm thinking one, like there's one is not <laughs> enough. Like you, this team, they just lost four out the window. So, and uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear um, as I've, I've written many times now that they need multiple, multiple bats. So they're going to be busy. Um, they will be aggressive. They will be um, on a lot of those um, players that, uh, that are out there in free agency and trade. Um, and, and then of course the one, um, the one player that you probably have to set aside your traditional valuations is Shohei Otani. So before we, we get always, into speculation, sorry, Adam, go ahead. I was just going to say we always we always know that there's like the the Toronto tax we have to overpay to to bring a guy in. How significant is that going to be with a Shohei Otani? Like when we're talking a half a billion dollar contract, how much does Toronto realistically need to up? the price of the next bidder in order to even have him entertain the thoughts of, of coming to Canada. 
And if you're yeah. going to spend half a billion dollars, what's what's half a billion and 20 million, right? Like, yeah. What's, what's 520,000 million? Exactly. I think there's something I'm sure, you know, psychologists have figured figured it, that one out to a T, but I, I think it's true of all of us, right? If you're buying something for, you know, for 500 bucks and you just, and there's another $20 on for the warranty, eh, all of a sudden that just, you don't even really think about it. Um course there's no warranty for otani he's um you know he's (laughs) human like everyone else right so um yeah i think it's yeah it's it's going to be really interesting i think that the toronto tax exists for some players and for others it's really not a factor um so i don't know shohei otani's preferences nearly well enough to speculate on that for him um he's held his cards very close to the vest throughout this entire Mm -hmm. process and so um you know you hear scuttlebutt that he really is comfortable on the West Coast and likes Southern California and might prefer to stay in Southern California, all things being equal. But clearly, he's open to bids from other cities as well. So I would be speculating for him specifically when it comes to Toronto. I do think that um, you know when you look broadly, some players are really happy to come here. Other players, it's just a non-starter. Like there, mm-hmm. there some, including some current free agents, where it's like it's not even gonna, you're not even gonna have the conversation because they don't want to come here. Now, the that's not just Toronto. There, the same could be said, I'm sure, of Seattle or of Miami or some players just have geographic preferences that they don't want to be in certain spots. And um, the the main, you know, there's some exceptions to that where like typically Los Angeles, New York. Those are places that are that are pretty appealing to free agents, broadly speaking. Um, but short of that, you know, Cincinnati, like there's probably a Cincinnati tax. There's probably a St. Louis tax. We just don't necessarily talk about it as much. That's good point. You mentioned the fact that this team, they have multiple holes to fill, right? Especially on the bat side of things. And if you had to take an educated guess, how many of these Blue Jays needs whether it be third base, second base, left field, bullpen pitching, wherever it may be, how many of these do you think this season could be filled internally? Do you think that we're going to see some of these spots filled from within the organization? I do think we will. And I think that some of them are more easily filled internally than others. Um, If you're the Jays, I think you need to be open to acquiring second baseman, for example. But if you start the season... With Kevin Biggio batting against right-handed pitchers and Santiago Espinal hitting against left-handed pitchers, that's totally fine. Or even if Davis Schneider's in that mix against lefties with Espinal, that's totally fine. So second base is a position they can fill internally. Same with DH. Like, they can do some sort of mix and match, you know, have your catcher, you know, whoever's not catching that day get in there sometimes. Maybe a bit of Springer. Maybe you do a little bit of, is it a Horwitz? Is it a Davis Schneider? Like they can cover DH internally and second base. The two spots that I think they can't cover internally, at least to start the season, would be third base and left field. And I think you have to go outside the organization. I mean, even if it is Matt Chapman, a player in whom they continue to have interest, you have to sign someone or trade for someone at third base. I don't think you want Kevin Biggio playing every, every day there defensively. And then I think that, once you get to the to the offensive side of things, sure, Barger or Relvis Martinez, like these guys could contribute maybe later in the season. You don't want to open the season with that. So you need someone who has some established ability against major league pitching to 
handle that position to open the year. And then whether it's a left fielder or a center fielder, you need someone along with Dalton Varsho. Because the other thing is, George Springer was pretty healthy this past season, but he might need some DH time. Like They just don't have enough major league caliber outfielders. And again, that could change as the season progresses. Maybe an Allen Roden becomes more viable in that spot. But to open the season, there is no way they can really fill outfield and third base internally as I see it. So let's talk Matt Chapman a little bit here because I know that there is this feeling amongst the fan base that that they don't really wish to see him return. And I think it just had a lot to do with his 2023 season, the ups and downs that everyone dealt with, and just how he performed at the end of the year. However, the truth is, Matt Chapman is a really good third baseman. And I guess my question for you, Ben, is in your opinion, what would the term and money look like to be a good fit? Because I know personally, I really don't wish to see Matt Chapman for $160 million in six years. But if there's somewhere in the middle, I'm a lot more warm on on that resigning. Yeah, I think that's really fair. I, I suspect that people within the Blue Jays organization would probably see it similarly to you. Um, and um, no one said that to me, but they clearly have interest in Matt Chapman. Um, they're on record saying that they want to bring him back. They made him the one-year qualifying offer. That's a real offer at, at $20 million or so for for one year. Now, if the price gets to 140 to 170 which is like not unreasonable when you look at what Javi Baez and Trevor Story got, and you look at what Dansby Swanson got. And those guys were shortstops. But Chapman, really, really good defensive player. He can contribute on offense, but there's holes in his offensive game, as we saw at stretches last season. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a player that Scott Boris could make a really strong case for big-time money. And if a team like the Giants decides that they are going to spend, maybe they miss on Otani, maybe they miss on Yamamoto, Bellinger, all of a sudden they're sitting there, it's like, who's our guy? Hard to find a better option at that point than Chapman. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets 150 over six from San Francisco, reunites with Farhan Zaidi and Bob Melvin. That could completely work. But what if the Giants do get Yamamoto and maybe they go a little cheaper and at third base they acquire like Isak Paredes from the Rays or something? And then mm. it's like, okay, they don't need a third baseman anymore. And, you know, the Cubs get Bellinger and the Yankees get Soto. And like Chapman's kind of sitting there, doesn't necessarily have a place to go. I don't know. At that point, the Jays definitely could be in on him. Is that four years times, I don't know, 26, something like that? Like, that's not so unreasonable. Is it five times 22? Like, I, I don't know what the structure would look like. That's speculation on my part. But there could be deals that are short of that mega deal that would fit for both that sides. makes sense but yeah we'll see i mean chapman's chapman's obviously aiming high as he should and um deserving of a of a very very big contract if you were to put a percentage chance on him needing to take a one-year high avv uh deal do you think that's even a possibility i it's a good question i would put the percentage chance at like three to five okay so things the market would need to fall out on him that would be, I, I'd be really surprised, but but I'm not saying zero. Like, I wouldn't be yeah. stunned, stunned, but I, I don't think it's happening. 
So obviously, if there is one area with this Blue Jays organization where they're kind of set up, it is their starting pitching. Now, there are question marks, obviously, there. I think one of the biggest, for me anyways, is Alec Manoa. And I'm really curious what your thoughts are on Alec, what you've heard, and if, because you always hear those stuff, Alec Manoa is not going to be a Blue Jay in 2024. Um, Is there a possibility that Jays sell low on an Alec Manoa? I think there's a chance. Um, I think there's been a chance ever since things went south um, for Manoa and for the the team and what they were able to get out of him this past season. Um, Clearly a very frustrating year for Manoa and for the Blue Jays. Um, He's in the process of getting himself back to full strength and uh, working out in uh, in Florida as he prepares for the for the coming season clearly a bounce back candidate for 2024 um and i think if you're the jays you have to be open to the possibility of moving players like manoa um at the same time i think with so many other pitchers out there on the trade market whether that's glasnow corbin burns shane bieber i don't know that another team looks at manoa and says we're going to give up you know a substantial um, long-term piece, which presumably the Blue Jays would be looking for. They're not going to trade him for a, a rental, I wouldn't think. Um, so you're giving up something substantial long-term for Manoa. I mean, why not add on to the package a little bit more and get a Tyler Glasnow or get a Corbin Burns or a Bieber, mm-hmm. someone who you have more confidence in for 2024? So I don't know. If I had to guess, I think Manoa's staying with the Jays, entering camp, and trying to earn the fifth starter job. Do you think that he has that spot locked? locked up like is there a spot waiting for him or is he going to need to earn it i think he's going to have to earn it i really do um ross atkins said that manoa is the has a leg up was his phrase um so he's the favorite but it's going to depend on how he looks and if you're a member of that coaching staff you have to have an open competition i I think that you know whether that's um you know mitch white perhaps or even a ricky tiedemann competing um for a job you have to be open-minded there. Now, I think Manoa is the best candidate and the most likely one to win that job because we've seen him pitch at a really high level before. So I think he probably will win it, but I don't think he goes in there with a guarantee on day one of spring training. Ricky Tiedemann won Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Year. Any chance at all, do you put it at a 0% that he breaks camp with the with the team? There's probably no way out of spring training, right? You know what? I'd put it higher than zero. Like yeah. I'd say it's like 5% um, because, you know, even at the end of this past season, um, he made it to AAA briefly. Um, he would have been a couple injuries away from, you know, if the Jays had made a really long postseason run. And then let's say, you know, for argument's sake, if something had happened to Mesa, Mesa has to, has to go on the IL. Something else happens. Another pitcher goes down. Like Tiedemann was probably a couple injuries away. It's not that he was close. Um, but if he has an awesome spring, I don't know. And someone gets hurt, like it, it would take an injury, of course. He's not going to break um, with with everyone fully healthy. But injuries happen. You know, as much as we saw amazing health from the Jays this year, probably don't get quite as good of health next year. So if there's an injury and if Tiedemann's looking awesome, like that's a scenario where like that's why I say like there's a small percent chance, maybe it's 5%, something like that, where he does break uh, with the opening day team. What are your thoughts on the possibility of him making his MLB debut in 2024? Almost 100? I'd say if he's healthy, 
he debuts in 2024. Okay. You know, there's an injury could get in the way of that. Otherwise, yeah, we'll see him. And it'll be fun to see, right? He's got great stuff. He's excelling at a high level in the AFL and, and also in the minor leagues. He put up some big numbers in 2023. So it'll be fun to see what he can do. But a lot of the time it takes it takes a few ups and downs. It takes some some tests and some adversity at the major league level to get to that full potential. So, Ben, I want to talk really quickly Japan and just your thoughts on the fact that we have over the last half a dozen years uh, seen a, an increase of Japanese players coming over. There's almost a big a big name to land every year, and it seems to be increasing. Um, more and more Japanese players just seem to want to come over to Major League Baseball these days. I think Shohei Otani obviously plays a huge role in that. We're seeing Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who 25-year-old stud pitcher, trying to make that jump. Uh, what are your thoughts on Yamamoto? And and can you see it getting to the point where we're seeing a dozen players a year coming over from Japan in the next wow. five years? Wow, yeah. I mean, that'd be really cool. Um, it seems now that we get... You know, a small handful. Um, Imanaga as well coming over this year. Mm -hmm. Last year, of course, we had Yoshida and Kudai Sanga, both of whom mm -hmm. were quite good. Um, although Yoshida slowed down as the year wore on. Um, clearly, the top players in Japan can play at the MLB level and can excel here. So I, I think that, you know, where there might have been questions once around what their transition looks like, we're seeing oh. more players succeed which gives um, the industry more confidence that the elite players from Japan can succeed here relatively seamlessly. And I'm sure on some level, it gives the players themselves that confidence when they see their peers um, succeeding in Major League Baseball. So I don't think this trend will slow down anytime soon. I mean, to go from three or four to 12 would be a big leap and might take some time, but um, it's awesome you know, to see the game uh, on such a global level and so many stars from so many different places. Yamamoto is a elite talent without a doubt and definitely a, a different breed than you would normally see coming out of Japan because he's so young and because he's got such a, a high ceiling on him. What have you heard about the interest around Major League Baseball? We know it's quite high and and who what are some reasonable landing spots for the guy? Yeah, he's going to have so much interest. His agent, Troll Wolf, said uh, publicly that he's never seen interest like this in a in a pitcher. Um, so it sounds as though there are 20-plus teams interested, the Blue Jays, of course, being one of them. Um, I don't expect the Blue Jays to land Yamamoto, although they have shown legitimate interest in him um, as the year has gone on here. Um, so I think teams like the Giants, uh, Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, and Red Sox are probably better positioned to land him. Um, the deal could easily surpass $200 million in total commitment. So that's a big that would one, be right? the highest. That would be wow. the highest deal ever coming out of Japan, right? Yeah, it would. Tanaka, I think, was like 156 somewhere in that range. So this would shatter the Tanaka. And, and I'm sure this will be over the Tanaka threshold. So, um, yeah, we're looking at record money. Um, like you said, though, 25 years old, really good command. His home run suppression was elite, elite, elite this past year. Great strikeout numbers. Um, I'm sure he'll allow more home runs in Major League Baseball. But, um, you know, he, he could be a frontline arm for the next five, six, seven years. And those guys are really, really hard to come by.
Ben, I know we've only got you for about six more minutes here, so we'll get in trouble from our listeners if we don't get to some listener questions here. I'll throw that to you, Adam, and away we go. <laughs> yeah, you bet. All right, first one comes in from Rinks, uh, who says, maybe in general terms, but how much access do guys like you and Arden and Shy actually get to credible information? And if you do, how much of it is under some sort of NDA, a.k.a. you hear things that most don't, but you just can't talk about it? Uh, and real close to the vest kind of stuff. I'd have to assume a decent amount of the org is involved when researching players, so it can't be that much of a secret. Yeah, I mean, great question. I think um, I think the Jays do a pretty good job of keeping that stuff under wraps, considering how many people are involved in you know uh, researching players, um, ranking them, um, and recruiting them. Because you know, with Shohei Otani, for example, I imagine that they probably made a recruitment video for Shohei Otani. So that's people in the creative department, right? I don't know yeah. that for a fact, but that's my guess. So all of a sudden you have all these different arms of the organization contributing. Now they know it's their job at stake not to leak information. For the most part, that is like very, um, you know, people follow that because it's their job. It's their livelihood. Um, I, I think that the access when it comes to players is excellent. The access to John Schneider, I mean, we talked to him twice a day all year. Couldn't ask for more. Good access to coaches, front office. I mean, Ross Atkins typically available every couple of weeks um, throughout the season. So we talk to him regularly. Um, and then others around the organization, for example, at the GM meetings or at spring training, you get the chance to talk to them. So definitely no complaints when it comes to the access. Um, you do hear some stuff that's on the record, of course, which we share. Some stuff that's off the record, which you can maybe share, um, you know, a couple of years after the fact, once the information is no longer sensitive. But um, certainly in the moment, you hear things that you can't share. Um, that's part of the job, of course. But it's also our job to research things that people don't want out there and to try to share them and um, always uh, try to do that uh, whenever possible. When something is off the record, how obvious is it? Like, does it do they say, hey, don't tell anyone? Or is it like just a a look between you two and you go, okay, this is not that's, for me to write about. So that's a great question. Um, almost always it would be explicitly said, this is off the record. Okay. So, and then in contrast to that, maybe you're just, you run into someone, you're kind of, um, you know, shooting the breeze and, um, you know, you're just talking about baseball. Okay. You're not going to quote them on that. Um, but that's information that I could present maybe as my own opinion. Um, for example, um, it's information that I could present as a baseball person said this. And I'm not going to name who it was. But once someone says, hey, off the record, but we were actually pretty close on this player last year, then I'm going to say, all right, that's off. The we're not going there. You know, that's that's okay. fine. Yeah, I won't even hint but at it in an article. Then. No, exactly. Um, whereas if it's said in casual conversation and no one says it's off the record, then to me, that's more of background information. Yeah. Uh, very good. Next one comes from Ian says, are the Jays legit dark horses for Otani or are they just a throw in team and league conversations to drive up the market? Is there some gamesmanship afoot? Uh, I would say all of the above. There's definitely gamesmanship. <laughs> There's what definitely... a terrible answer. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely gamesmanship. They are a dark horse. Um, teams, the Otani's camp might be using the Jays, but the Jays will want to sign Otani. How difficult is that going to be? Probably pretty difficult, but they're going to have some interest. And I, I, I'd say if you're a Jays fan, don't get your hopes up too high because you might be disappointed, but uh, there will be some real conversations there. 
We have a one Get ready for it to be chance. leaked later that they were the number two team, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, put it this way: there, I, I don't, I don't think that more than eight teams are going to be actually serious, and the Jays will be one of those eight. So, but you know, is it? There are a lot of teams, right? You got Mets, yeah. Cubs, Rangers, Dodgers, maybe Yankees, probably not Mariners, maybe Padres, maybe Angels. Um, I might be forgetting some. This is just off the top of my head. Giants. And then you get Jays. Gi- yeah, of course, Giants 100% are in there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the group. And Red Sox, maybe. So, yeah, they're in that group. Uh, they Could might be eight, eighth out of eight, but they're not 30th out of 30. Could you tell me right now if you saw Shohei Otani at a Tim Hortons in Toronto, or would you have to keep your lips shut? <laughs> of course. I mean, yeah, I would. If I saw Shohei Otani <laughs> at a Tim Hortons, I would take a photo, I would tweet it. <laughs> very good. Okay, a hundred percent. There is okay. no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Right. Content gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would also. I would also try to figure out what his order was. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, just just out of curiosity, right? Like, what's that is what's the biggest one? A little hash brown, maybe. I wonder. Yeah. All right. Plain last cream one. Then. Cheese are flavored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last one here. Uh, Mustard Tiger wants to know uh, what have you heard that's more than just quote due diligence. Uh, is there anyone at all that we're actively pursuing? I mean, Otani is more than just due diligence. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, I, yeah, I don't think that you. Yeah, I don't think that you go into those waters with just a toe. Um, mm-hmm. I think that um, yeah, like Chapman's more than due diligence. Um, you know, uh, Votto is more than due diligence. But of course, Votto is not going to happen. Votto would have to sign after Shohei does, wherever wherever those deals happen. Right. Um, I, I would think that Votto and J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner would be on the list of players who kind of wait for the DH market to move with, with Otani. Um, but yeah, Votto, Chapman, Suarez, they had interest in Eugenio Suarez, but um, ultimately weren't motivated enough to, to um, you know, exceed what Arizona offered, which wasn't that much. So those are some players in whom they've had real interest. Ben, thank you so much, my friend. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us a couple times a year. You literally have always made time for us, and I, I just want you to know how much we do appreciate it. All the best to you in December and the holidays and all that good stuff, and uh, we'll bug you in the spring, see if we can get you back sometime throughout the season. Yeah, sounds good, guys. And and right back at you, I, you know, and to anyone listening to you, I know that a lot of folks listening um, make time for my Uh, thoughts whether that's on twitter or on tv or on radio or whatever the case so thanks to everyone who's made time for uh for my thoughts and observations on the jays that's uh much appreciated very good awesome thanks ben yeah you got it guys cheers thanks for listening to the walk-off podcast with scott belford and adam mack with a new episode every friday Thanks for listening.